Well, hey, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you here at Rock Island, as well as our family at Bettendorf, the men at Kiwani, those tuning in online. Thanks, thanks for being here. We're fast approaching the end of our Walking with Giants series. We've got one more week end after this weekend. And I've just loved how God has been moving in and through our church family in this conversation. As people have been stepping in deeper levels of faith, I, I never get tired of seeing how God responds to that as we respond in obedience to him in the first place. And it, it never gets old hearing those stories. And especially when I understand that we're one church in multiple locations who's, who's really committed to connecting people to God and to each other and, and to their purpose. And so this Walking with Giants conversation has been incredibly relevant for positioning us to do that in increasing levels, especially as we corporately as a church have been stepping in some pretty big steps of faith. We've been calling some bold moves. We've got a number of them out there, but the biggest has certainly been the acquisition and repurposing of the former Kone building to serve as a regional hub of a powerful movement of God in our cities and region. And, it, and it's, this is now the season for us where that building is, has been delivered by God into our hands, and we're now in the stewardship phase of that. Like our, our first phase one is acquisition and the beginning of stewardship, and we're in that right now. And if in this journey you've heard me say to you, talk to God and do what he says, I want you to know this is the time to do whatever God has asked you to say in this phase one journey. To, just to do in time, talent, and treasure whatever he has asked you to do. And if you're someone who's just catching the story a little bit, you're not quite sure what we're talking about with Kone, get online at heritageqc.com and you can find lots of information. But whether you've been in the conversation since January or just picking it up now, my invitation to all of you is to just talk to God and do what he says. We're committed to doing anything and everything he asks. And it just so happens one of the things he's asking us to do is to establish this regional hub that allow us to launch incrementally all across our region a transforming movement of God, to see our cities transformed. See, our heartbeat behind the conversation is the peace and prosperity of our cities, the welfare of our cities. That comes as God's people make bold sacrifice and step in bold obedience and as we pray. See, now that we've acquired this building, we're doing a couple things around maintenance and some security issues because as the building sat empty, it was a target of vandalism. So we're, we're actually kind of shocking the system. We're, we're pulling out some, some trees and some places that people could hide and gain access to the building. We're putting up lights and cameras, and we're just making that place pretty secure. And, and even as Illinois Department of Transportation clears out the wood line right next to us for the new bridge space, it's all transforming down there. But the first intentional investments we're going to make in that space are around prayer. We're going to do that before we do anything else because we are seeking the peace and prosperity of our cities as we pray for, for that on, on, on behalf of, of them to God. And so we're going to create some prayer spaces uh, right along the levee is going to be the first space right along the, the river. And we're going to give more information to you soon about when that is available and how that will work. But after that, we're going to create other prayer spaces outside as well as move inside to create some ongoing prayer spaces. That's the first and most important thing we can be doing in this season of, of acquisition and stewardship. Pretty soon, we're going to shift from phase one into phase two. And phase two is a multi-year journey where we're incrementally going to live into that facility. We're going to grow at a rate we can sustain. The spaces we're not using uh, in this early phase, we're looking to lease. And we have already have some tenants in engaged already. And we're going to have a source of income there. But we're incrementally going to grow into that space at the pace God allows us and calls us. We're controlling the throttle on this. And we're not chasing something. We're, we're incrementally walking with God as we talk to him and do what he says as a leadership team. 
And so my challenge and invitation in this place, in this space now, is that you talk to God and do what he says. You step in bold obedience. Whatever he asks you to do in time and talent treasure, just do that. Because we're seeking to do everything and anything he asks. And I'm excited not only for what he's doing now, but what I believe is coming still ahead as we step in bold obedience. Now, having just updated you on the status of some of those things, I want to step back into our conversation of walking with the giants. And I think it's kind of safe to say that we all know that there are some things in life that are predictable. There are just some things that are predictable. We know that if we do this and do that, that we're going to get a certain outcome. It's almost the dynamic of an A plus B equals C, that when we do this and then we do that, we expect an outcome. Some things are just highly predictable. There's a high probability to them. For example, if I take this ball and I hold it up in the air, what happens if I let go? It's going to fall. And then what happens? It's going to bounce. It's A plus B equals C. There are just some things that have a high probability, high predictability. Here's another example. If you take a cold metal pole, A, and you stick your tongue to it, B, what happens to it? It stays there. It's stuck. A plus B equals C. Now, here's another example. On a really hot day, if you take a Slurpee, you take an icy Slurpee, and you chug that thing as fast as you can, B, what's C? Brain freeze. Absolutely. A plus B equals C. There are just some things that are highly predictable. There was just a, there, we, it's not foolproof, but there are just some things that we, we're pretty fairly sure what's going to happen in the dynamic. Like the... Like the new guy on a Star Trek away team isn't coming home, right? The new guy on the away team in Star Trek doesn't come back. There's just that high predictability because we have this sense of, of the known, of the outcome, and, and, the, and the known outcomes kind of give us a sense of control, a, a sense of stability in life. It's A plus B equals C. But listen, when it comes to faith, it doesn't quite work that way. In fact, often it works the opposite. Here's what we saw early on in our Walking with Giants series as the definition of faith in Scripture. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's the thing that the ancients were commended for. These giants of the faith that we've been looking at through the whole summer were commended for this kind of faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, so faith has this unseen and a not yet. There, there's an unknown element to it, but it's not just unknown. There's an unpredictability to it as well, which really creates a space for faith to be kind of elusive and fleeting sometimes, have it and not have it. And when we add into the equation that God doesn't always do what we expect, that it isn't always A plus B equaling the C we expect, well, then whatever faith we have can actually be challenged in that moment, be even be shaken. And we can end up with a roller coaster erratic faith, which is not really faith at all. So how do we avoid that? How do we get ahead of that? See, I want to give you the answer to that right up front. I want to give you the answer up front, and then I want to spend the rest of our time together walking through what it actually means, how it plays out in life. So if you've got a note guide and you're tracking along with fill-ins, this is actually your first fill-in and the answer to how we get ahead of the situation I just described. That true faith trusts in who God is. True faith trusts in who God is. It trusts in his character, in his power, in his strength. True faith trusts in who he is. And most people go, no, duh, I get that. Yes, most people get that. But the tension comes in the second part of the statement. True faith trusts in who God is, not what he does. 
Trust in who he is, not what he does. Faith is not subject to circumstances. It's not always A plus B equals C. See, we've been digging into the lies of a few folks who have been identified in this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. These are people we've been calling giants of the faith. We've been looking at their story to understand how they lived by faith in the complexity of the world so that we too can live by faith. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. No guide has the scriptures as well as on the screen. But if you've got a Bible, I want you to get there. It's in the New Testament. After you find First and Second Timothy, you work your way back a bit further. Before James, you find Hebrews. And we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We've been digging in in this anchor passage for the whole Walking with Giants series. And every time we lean into the conversation, there's a reoccurring truth that faith changes everything. It changes the dynamic. And it was two weeks ago that we looked specifically at one of the giants of the faith, the only female listed in the list. Her name was Rahab, and she was a prostitute. And we looked at how God used her in significant ways because she chose faith instead of fear. And if, if you want to sketch this thing out, you can in the third page of your note guide in the blank space. But, but Rahab chose faith instead of fear. And that allowed God to do something beautiful in her life. But let me frame the conversation in case you missed that part of it. See, God created us so that he can have relationship with us. But this thing called sin gets in the way of that. And with sin entering the equation, we've got a choice to either step out in faith or to step towards fear. And whenever we step in a posture of fear, immediately what happens is that we end up in a place of bondage. The, the, the sin of our life, the complexity around us, the fear that marks us, puts us in a place where we're just stuck. When we choose fear, but when we choose faith, well, that leads to a place where God frees us from the bondage and puts us in a place where it turns that into brokenness. And then he turns our brokenness into beauty as he gives us a future. God gives us a future where he turns our brokenness into beauty when you and I live by faith. He, he did this in the story of Rahab. He redeemed her story, gave beauty out of the brokenness of her life. And he wants to do the same for you and I, but here's the complexity. We can choose faith, but when A plus B doesn't equal the C we expect, well, then we can start to drift from faith towards fear. And this is because of the, this little friend of fear called doubt. When you and I are sitting in a dynamic where we've chosen faith, and, and God's, that A plus B leads to a C we didn't expect, the C being more brokenness before he brings beauty. Maybe delayed timing and bringing beauty out of brokenness is a different C. Or maybe the future he puts in front of us is a C we didn't really expect. When that C doesn't show up, A plus B plus C, like we expect, we can actually drift away from faith towards fear because of doubt. And that's a complexity we need to avoid if we're going to trust in who he is, not just what he does. See, we get back to the Hebrews 11 section of Scripture. There is a this element where we've reached in the journey along this whole section of, of chapter 11, we've reached a point where the unidentified author of Hebrews has basically paused, and he's getting ready to say, there are too many examples of faith for me to continue. After 28 verses, from verse 4 to verse 31, of example after example after example, he now pauses to say, what else can I say? I could go on, but there's not enough time. Take a look with me. This is Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. He says, And what, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about, 
and David and Samuel and, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Okay, we're still tracking with these giants of faith where when, when, when we have faith like this, you get to shut the mouths of lions. This is, status, this is good stuff. We like this. We continue to read on. It says this, that they quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose, whose weakness turned to strength. We, yes, that's what faith should do. And, and became, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. It's like, yeah, get some by faith. It's like the good stuff. Then women receive back their dead, raised to life again. It's like, woo That's what faith should do, man. From beauty from brokenness, a future from God. It's like, yes, this is why we get excited about faith. But what happens next in the narrative, everything turns. And these giants that he's describing experience things that we think are, but shouldn't be. That we don't expect, not even desired. Take a look at what happens next. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. It's like, hey, wait, hold on. This is, this is not what happens when God takes faith to bro- from brokenness to beauty and future. They were, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. This is, this is like wrong. This is not what should be happening to people of faith when they live by faith. We keep reading, though. It says that they went, out, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, that's for sure. But they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. It's like, what in the world just happened? We have been walking this beautiful journey of describing these giants of faith and how that faith led to these pretty impactful, wonderful things. And now we're ending at this end of this list in this train wreck of tragedy and trouble. What's, what's with that? This, it doesn't make sense for us. It's almost like we want to say, hold it, time out. These are men and women of faith. This should not be what's happening. Men and women of faith should be able to experience blessing and provision and protection and, and all these other things, right? It should be A plus B equaling C. Not as we see it here. Not as we lean in and look at what is in the word. See, we jump back to verse 36 for a moment. I want you to highlight just one simple word. What's this say right here? Psalm. Psalm. If you begin to understand the scripture at all, this word right here is one of the hardest words of the passage. It's not Jephthah. <laughs> it's Psalm. If you want to understand the passage even a bit more, I encourage you to put in in your notes just a little, little arrow and put not all. Some, not all. Some, not all, face jeers. Some, not all, were flogged. Some, not all, were stoned and tortured and imprisoned. That means some, not all, were empowered, some escaped, some were strengthened, but, but not all, some, not all. Some, some were not empowered, some were not freed, some were not strengthened. And that's a hard fact that I believe can impact faith. I've, I've served in ministry settings for more than 30 years. And if you want to do the math on my age, I started ministry when I was two. No, I didn't. 
more than 30 years. I've walked with the Lord even longer than that. And if I can pick one reoccurring concept that seems to most challenge faith, it's the reality of this, some, not all. Some, not all. It's those unexplainable incongruities, the seemingly unfair differences in life, the comparison that leads to confusion, to the imbalance and the injustice of a circumstances where A plus B didn't equal the C we expected. Those are hard concepts to embrace. And in those spaces, doubt and fear can start to creep in as we drift from faith, which challenges our faith even more because of the reality of some, not all. In fact, I find personally and professionally that it's not the need for faith or even the, the importance of faith or the value of faith or the power of faith that is hard for us. It's the reality of faith. It's the lack of control. It's the lack of predictability. It's the trusting in and submitting to a God who doesn't always do what we expect. Who doesn't follow all of our expectations. And that's when fear can take over and doubt can creep in and we drift from faith in the complexity of all of that. It's in the letting go in the unpredictability of it all. The some, not all, some are healed, some are spared, some are answered, some are helped, some are given, but not all. And the truth is, our Lord is never quite who or what we imagine him to be. He is always good. He is perfect. He is faithful. He is true. He is just. He is always present. But he doesn't always do what we expect or what we desire. Yet true faith trusts in who he is, not what he does. Because quite literally, he's beyond our comprehension. He says this about himself. It's captured in Isaiah 55. He said, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's describing a reality. He's not mocking us. He's not devaluing us. He's putting it in context, almost like a parent to a child, to a small child saying, look, daughter of mine, son of mine, you don't see it all, but trust me, I see it all. Just listen to what I'm saying in the space. He's framing it for us. He is beyond us. All we have to do is look at Hebrews 11 and see he's beyond us. Who he picked and what he did with them and how he did it with them, it's beyond us. It's beyond our understanding. And listen, God doesn't always explain what he's seeking to do, but he does seek to reveal. So if you're still tracking, here's the next truth. God doesn't always explain, but he always, he's always in the process of revealing. He's seeking to reveal truth. He's seeking to reveal himself. He's seeking to reveal more about who we are in front of him. God is not in the business of explaining. He's in the business of ongoing revelation, of revealing showing us who he is. He doesn't always explain all he does or doesn't do, but he is always seeking to reveal who he is by his word and by his spirit. And in the darkest, most difficult points of your life, in the bondage and brokenness of your life, when you're crying out, asking questions, and you got an A plus B and you don't understand the C, instead of focusing on the answer, look for where he's revealing who he is. 
Because most often in the darkness and the questions and the trouble and in the concerns, he's, he's trying to reveal himself more than give you an answer. Because that's how we navigate towards faith and beauty out of brokenness and a future. See, here's the thing. The ultimate aim of faith is not protection. It's not provision. It's, it's not peace. It's, it's not even success. It, it's the glory of God. The glory of God. Therefore, he can, with absolute integrity of character, choose to do some, not all. Because the point is glory. No violation in his character to do some, not all, when the point is his own glory, his purpose and plan. Yet I know that's hard. It's even scary. It can cause us to drift in doubt towards fear because we don't have control or even understanding of the outcomes in our lives. But that's why it's called faith. And it's one reason why Jesus told his disciples in John 14 these very words. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He's saying, trust in me. Trust in who I am. Trust in who we are. God the Father, God the Son. Trust in who we are, not what we do. Trust in me. Because you don't see it like I see it. We see it different than you see it. Trust True faith, trust in who God is, not what he does. That's the difference in the complexity. In fact, I think this conversation kind of takes us back to a point earlier in our Walking with Giants series where we were talking about faith. As, as There is a reality that we can live a faith that pleases God. Scripture tells us that, but we can also live a faith that, that doesn't please God then. So when we think about faith, a faith that pleases, well, how do we get there? Because it's not just have faith and then we please. There's a, there's a living out of our faith that leads to pleasing. And there's a sequence to it. The reality is that we have to first agree with God. We have to place an element of trust and say, I agree with what you're doing. I agree with your see. I agree with what's happening. I trust you in the midst of it. But then out of agree, we actually walk with him. We spend time with him. We, we live in relationship with him. It allows us to then know how to love him and how to love others and even love ourselves appropriately in that. And then out of that love, we act. And we act in obedience. This is how we live a faith that pleases but you have to understand something. Every part of this is an expression of trusting in who he is, not what he does. Trust when we agree. Trust when we walk. Love always trusts, and we certainly trust when we act in bold obedience to whatever he's asking us to do. It's the element of trust, and true faith in God is trust in who he is, not what he does. Look, I was having a conversation uh, earlier with a friend uh, uh, about movies about recent movies and favorite movies, and Star Wars came up, and specifically Empire Strikes Back, which Empire Strikes Back was released in 1980. It was the second movie released, but it's actually the fifth in the series. Yes, it's complicated and confusing. Star Wars buffs get it and know it. Those like, what does that mean? It was released in 1980 as number two, but as they've made more movies, it's now number five in, the, in chronological order. Now listen, Empire Strikes Back was hard because the bad guys won. And the bad guys aren't supposed to win. When the bad guys win, that bothers us. And if you were like me and you saw the movie in 1980, you had to wait three years for Return of the Jedi, for the redemption of the brokenness, for the bad guys not to continue to be the victors in it. It was very rough, very difficult. I'm still traumatized by it. But listen, for us, we don't, we, the bad guys should not win. It bothers us when we see the bad guys winning, especially when, it, when it's around people we know or care about, or even more so when it bothers, when it's us. 
when it's happening to us, when A plus B equals C and the C is an awful complicated thing that we didn't really want, it bothers us. It especially bothers us. But when it comes to faith, that's not how it's supposed to work. And we can read Hebrews 11 in the latter part and think that the bad guys are winning in that, but that's not what's happening. What's really happening is that Jesus is defining a new sea. Just consider what Jesus said two chapters after he implored his disciples to trust in God and trust in him. He says these words, John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. You will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Right here in this passage, Jesus is defining a new C. A plus B equals a space to choose faith, to trust. The bad guys aren't winning at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. God is working powerfully out of brokenness into beauty through the faith of his people. When they choose to trust in who he is, not just what he does. And the truth is, life is not neat and tidy. The, the moment that sin entered the equation, the whole dynamic changed. And it put humanity in this epic struggle of redemption and rescue to seeking to restore what has been lost. But in our journey in that, I think sometimes we can focus on a particular scene and we think that it's about living the perfect life and we can want to discard the imperfect and the painful. We can discard that thinking, you know what, that, that can't be of God and that's beyond God's ability to redeem or even desire to redeem. And so we want to cast aside the painful or the imperfect and think that it's not God because it has no value to it. It's worthless. And the reality is Jesus just changed that and defined it opposite of that thinking. You will have trouble. But I've overcome it and it's a new sea. I think we tend to think that it's painful and perfect. It can't be of God. Yet God uses the imperfect, and he uses the flawed, and he allows tragedy. He allows bad things to happen to faithful people. Most often for me in my personal life, that has been around pain, uh, loss, betrayal, being lied to, lied about. Those are the complexities in my world where A plus B didn't equal C. One of the more prominent ones in my journey has been around the journey of my mom, good and godly woman. Who's, who, after 13 years of suffering in the battle with cancer, died early. And my A plus B didn't equal C. My experience, the C of what I thought God should do and where he could show up was very different than what he did. And whenever we have an A plus B and a C that shows up that doesn't make sense and God doesn't do what we thought and we have pain in the mix and we have a betrayal or we have a loss and he doesn't do what we expect in that dynamic, in the midst of that, quite often there is no explanation. There is the on only the opportunity to choose. To, choose to, cho choose to trust or not. To choose to have faith in him or not. It's a choice. We can think that the imperfect and painful can't be of God, but in reality, your present tragedy, your present hardship was at least allowed by God, which means it passed through his hands before it ended up in your lap. And that, my friends, is where faith is made real or not. It's make or break in that particular space. Yet in those spaces and in those moments, we've got a choice to choose faith, or fear.
to allow God to work in the midst of that or not. And true faith, trust in who he is, not what he does. So what? See, we've all seen things that go sideways in life. I think we've all asked the question, why did this happen? Why, did he, why didn't he stop this? Why did he allow this? Why doesn't he fix it? Why did he allow the tragedy, the illness, the, the pain, the injustice? I think we can all can relate to something in our journey that, that, that speaks to this. We've all had expectations gone unmet with God. Things we thought should be seen that didn't show up that way. When he doesn't answer, didn't show up in the way that we think he should or that we think he would. And in those moments, our faith is at a crossroads. And our faith can be challenged in those moments. And we can actually end up with a whole bunch of questions about why and how and what for. But i got to tell you, there's only one question that matters in those moments. Only one question that can change anything in the dynamic. It's simply the reality of this. Are you willing to trust in who God is regardless of what he does? That's the only question that can have an answer that changes anything in the dynamic. Are you willing to trust in who God is regardless of what he does? That he is good, that he is faithful, that he is true, that he is loving, that he is ever-present? Are you willing to trust in who he is regardless of what he does? Because if you are, everything begins to change. True faith, trust in who God is, not what he does. You know, I think one of the greatest threats to living by faith, allowing God to bring beauty from brokenness, isn't so much the fear and doubt. I think those are things we can drift towards. But I think the greater issue, and even sometimes the opposite of faith, is the reality, or this, this word, control. And who has control? Who we give control? What we allow or don't allow? Because if we're going to take control in this dynamic, we have set ourselves on a path outside of faith. But when we allow God in the complexity of the dynamic to have control, saying, Lord, I trust you. Though you slay me, yet I will trust you. Even though I don't understand C, even though I can't make sense of it all, even though your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, when I allow you to have control, well, then you're able to do things that I want you to do, which is to bring beauty out of my brokenness. It's ultimately the issue of control, what we're going to allow and not allow, who we're gonna, what we're going to sit with open-handed faith, or what we're going to try to take hold of and fix ourselves or make different on our own whether we're going to submit in faith or we're going to take control in fear. Who has control? Here's a thought. If we just think about those, some of the last few heroes that the author is identifying in Hebrews chapter 11, if you just go back for a moment and look at verse 32, Gideon. Gideon was a dude who was faithful in tearing down idols, and God used him to bring victory in a, in a, against a much larger army, yet he struggled with doubt, repeatedly asking God to confirm what he was asking. It was an issue of control instead of living in open-handed faith. We go back to Barak. Barak was a guy that God used to bring victory over the Canaanites, but then he paused and stopped short, and he didn't go forward until, until Deborah told him to go. It was an issue of control in the situation rather than open-handed, bold obedience in faith. We get to Samson. Samson was a guy who never lived into his full potential. He died tragically after being enticed by Delilah. His problem was he wasn't living by faith. He was living by a lack of self-control. And he drifted away from allowing God to work in the way God wanted him to work in his life. Jephthah. Jephthah. God used Jephthah to bring a victory over the Ammonites. But then Jephthah made a stupid vow that he held stubbornly to. It was an issue of control and not faith. David, Samuel. I mean, David. David was a man who loved God, had a heart for God. 
But in a moment where he had a desire, he took control to orchestrate scenarios to satisfy his desire, to have a woman and to commit adultery. The moment he did that, took control to work that scenario, he failed God, he failed his kingdom, he failed his family, he failed his wife, he failed Bathsheba, he failed his kids. Because he took control to satisfy desire rather than living by faith open-handed to God, saying, God, whatever your sea is, I'll accept. I'll live submitted to you. I trust in who you are, not what you do. All of these people, they, had, they, were, they were people of faith. But they all had significant flaws and areas of failure in their life. Issues of control, just like us. And, and just as they needed to release control and, and choose faith and trust and, and set aside pride and be willing to let God choose the sea. Until they were able to do that, they couldn't live into the giant of faith that God wanted them to be. But when every time they did, they became that giant of faith. And the same is true for you and I as we trust in who he is. Listen, your, your life right now may be today marked by failure, your own or somebody else's, Tragedy, sorrow, loss. But faith remains a choice. No matter where you're at in the journey, faith remains a choice. And you can choose to follow or not. You can choose to follow a God who doesn't always do what we expect or not. You can choose to let go of control and trust in who he is or not. The opportunity before each one of us is well stated by Augustine. Here's what he said. He says, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Choose faith so that God can take your brokenness and lead it to beauty. Let, release the outcome. Look at the A plus B scenario and look at whatever that equals as an opportunity to choose faith. Not to assess whether the C is right or not. Not to look at the sea and say whether you can trust God or not. Trust in who he is, not what he does. Whatever, whatever A plus B equals in your life, look at it as an opportunity to choose faith, to choose belief over understanding, to choose faith over fear, to choose faith over control. And that all starts and ends with putting trust in who he is, not in what he may or may not be doing in your life. Faith, a faith that pleases, is a cycle of trust. We trust as we agree. We trust as we walk. We trust as we love. And we trust as we act in obedience. And as we live this faith, God shows up and does the miraculous in and around us. But the question becomes who's ultimately in control? Who are we allowing to be in control of our life? So, what is it even now, this week, today, that you need to release to God so you can step? in a new level of faith. You can demonstrate a new level of faith by trusting in him, saying, I trust in who you are. Perhaps it's a, a, a specific decision you're facing. Maybe it's a relationship you're struggling in. Maybe it's a wound, a hope, a dream. Where, what do you need to release to God so you can step in a new level of faith today? I realize for some of you, you're sitting in that headspace and you're going, but I don't understand what he's doing. I don't like the sea that's showing up. I, I, I can't believe he's allowing this. I, I, I can't understand why he's even letting this even happen. But in that space, in that moment, you have a choice to choose to trust in who he is or not. 
Are you going to trust him regardless of what he does or not? It's the difference between having faith or not. It's the difference between journeying through faith into brokenness to beauty with a future or drifting off in this direction where there is no future and there is no beauty. There is nothing but brokenness and bondage. But it's ultimately a choice because faith is a choice. And in some ways, it's a daily moment-by-moment choice, although reaffirming but reengaging in the complexity of life saying, Lord, you get control. The very first moment is that whole giving control to God through Jesus. If you've never done that, today's the day. That's where you need to start, saying, Jesus, I want you to take control, choosing to believe in him. And if you've never done that on the back of your note guide, are the steps in prayer to be able to step into this part of the journey. But it's a choice. And if you've done that before, or whether you're thinking about doing it now, the ongoing choice of faith is to let God have control, trusting in who he is, not just what he does. But we get to choose. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the complexity of this world and this life, I know that there is pain and and there is brokenness. There is sorrow. There are things we've got questions to that don't make sense to us. There are things that we can't even figure out why or how you are doing what you're doing. But in the midst of that, you call us to trust in who you are. You call us to faith because you want to bring beauty out of our brokenness. You want to set us free from sin. You want to set us free from our past, from shame, from whatever it is that's binding us up. So Jesus, I pray that as we each process this time and we, and we sit before you and we ask you what it is we need to release so that we can live in new levels of, of faith and freedom, we can demonstrate a new level of faith, I pray you'd speak very clearly and we would choose faith over fear that we would choose to trust in who you are even when we can't make sense of what you're doing or not doing because it's in that space that you're able to work. It's in that space that you're glorified and no matter what you put us in and place us to do, may we trust that you're more than able to lead us through it and may we be able to point to and celebrate your faithfulness and give you glory and honor and praise in all of it for you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord, and we ask you to move by your spirit in our lives today. I love you. I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.